0: psalm 78 please and commencing to read at verse 1 and then we're going to read down to verse number 9 and then we'll bow in a moment of prayer together give ear O my people to my law incline your ears to the words of my mouth i will open my mouth in a parable i will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and a rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law, and forget his works and his wonders that he had showed them. And we know the Lord allowed his blessing to the reading of his word. By with me just for a moment or two together, please, as we ask the Lord for his help. You ask the Lord to speak to you this morning and that you'll have a word in season to your hearts. Father, we just come again uh, before thee and we just cry, Lord, that thou will come and take our thoughts and everything that will go through our mind in the moments that are remaining And, Father, that we will be in tune with thee. And, Father, the cry of our heart will be this morning that thou will come and minister to all of our hearts. We realize that there's a great need, Lord, even in this gathering this morning, a need that no man can fathom. And yet, Lord, you know the very things that we have need of individually here together. And so, Father, we just pray that thou will come. And, Lord, above all, we give thee an invitation again. We long for thee to come. And Lord, as the psalmist could say, as the heart panteth for the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee. I thirst for the living God. And Father, we just ask thee that thou will come in the very atmosphere in this building this morning. will be charged with an awareness that God is here and not to bless us. And Father, we come against the enemy this morning. We take authority over every spirit that would seek to come against us and divert us and to draw our attention away from the Word of God. And we cry in Jesus' name this morning that thou wilt bind the enemy and drive him from this place. And, Father, we just cry that indeed that you would come and fill us all afresh with the Spirit of the living God and with power, we pray that you'll lift us out of formality and out of normality. And, Lord, that we'll leave this hall sometime today, knowing that Thou hast been here. Lord, we realize if Thou were to come in Thy tangible presence, Lord, we would never be the same again. And yet, Lord, that would be the cry of many of our hearts. Lord, we want to be different people. And so we pray that Thou will come. Lord, I stand in great need of Thee this morning. And I ask that Thou will fill me afresh with the Spirit of the living God and with power. Lord, that Your Word will go with a weight. And, Father, that it will pierce into the very recesses of our heart. And Father, above all that thy Son would get the glory. Lord, don't allow us to say anything this morning that will bring dishonor to him. That will bring disrepute to the cause of Christ. And above all that our hearts will be encouraged. We ask it in the lovely, precious and worthy name of thy Son. Amen. Amen. My text this morning is a well-known one. It's the ninth verse of this 78th chapter of the book of Psalms. It's that lovely verse in Psalm 9, or verse 9, it says, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. It's interesting, as you study your Bible, you'll find many descriptions of the people of God. We're described as sheep. We're described, the Lord Jesus described his disciples as a little flock. And we have a great shepherd this morning, one I love so well. How he has blessed us, tongue can never tell. Then not only are we described as sheep, but we're described as saints. I don't know if you describe me as a saint or not, but this book describes me as a saint. And it's lovely to be called out among the millions of the world today. We're a little group of God's people that have been called out. Called from darkness unto light. And not only are we described as sheep and saints, but we're described as servants. And every single one of us have something to do for God that others can't do. And we are described as servants. But in this verse and in this chapter this morning, it's not the sheep, it's not the servants, and it's not the saints, but it's the soldiers. The soldiers. I think it was that theme that got the hymn reader to pen that mighty hymn, Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war, Looking on to Jesus who has gone before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe. Forward into battle. See his banner go. At the name of Jesus, Satan's host doth flee. Onward, Christian soldiers, to the victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brother, lift your voices loud. Your anthem raise. Onward, Christian soldier. And I want to talk to you this morning, dear friend, about the battle that every single one of us are in. You'll not be saved too long till you realize that we have a foe. You'll not be too long in the things of God. You'll not be long saved as a born-again believer to know that every day, every moment that we're in a fight, Paul said it was a good fight. He says, I have fought the good fight. And you know, every single one of us this morning in this meeting, I'm sure we all know about battles. We know about fighting, we know about warring with the enemy, and it's a struggle, and we fight tooth and nail at times just to go on. And no one else seems to know, but God knows. Now the enemy that we face, he's a threefold foe. We face the world from without. And we live in hostile territory. We're a group of people that live behind enemy lines. We're in the devil's domain. You wouldn't have to turn on your television too long or listen to your radio or lift the newspaper to know that we're in a world that is controlled by the devil. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we face the world on a daily basis. The world is without, but there's another foe, and that is the flesh from within. And every single one of us knows something about battling with the flesh. Matters not how long you go on in the Christian walk. Matters not how many verses you know or how many hymns you know off by heart. But every single one of us knows something about battling with the old man, the flesh, the old nature. Every single believer in this meeting this morning has got a besetting sin. For some people here it's temper. For some people here, it's lust. For some, it's gossip. For some, it's envy. And on and on it could go. But every single one of us in this meeting that are saved this morning have a besetting sin. Something that always troubles us. It's never far from our healing. We fight with the flesh. But not only do we have a battle with the world that's without and a battle with the flesh that's within, we have a battle with the devil from beneath. And you know, dear friends, this morning he is a dirty foe. He has come to kill and to steal and to destroy. You'll know very much about the devil and the enemy whenever you get down to read and get down to pray. And he just floods your mind with things to do tomorrow, things to do later, things about the family and things about the, the, the health and the future. And it's a battle every moment of the day. Paul said that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against power. A battle. I wonder, are you in a battle this morning? wonder you here this morning and you've been fighting this threefold foe the world without the flesh within the devil from beneath and he's almost got the better of you But well, here was people and we've read about them in verse 9 the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows they turned back in the day of battle You'll remember whenever Daniel was writing there way back in Daniel chapter 7, he said about the last days concerning the enemy, concerning the devil, that his desire and his plan and his strategy is to wear out the saints of the Most High God. That word to wear out there is to harass, to bombard. Every moment of the day, he bombards your minds, he bombards your families, and it's relentless at times. And there's far more of you know about that than me this morning. There's far more of you here this morning know about the trials and the afflictions than I do. And you know all about the fightings without and the fears that are within. And I wonder in the heat of the battle. I wonder whenever the enemy has come relentlessly in the family in the health and in the church and at home. Has the cry of someone in this meeting been this week? Lord, I can take no more. I can take no more. It seems to be relentless, Lord. Just as I seem to see a little break, it comes like another wave, one after another, something more, again and again and again. And the cry of your heart has been, I can take no more, I've had enough. What's the use in going on? I would feel that has been the cry of someone here. It has maybe been the cry of many here during the last week. Maybe there's someone here and you're ready to give up on your ministry. Now just stop. God has called you to some area of service. Maybe it's in the closet alone in prayer. And he's laid a burden on your heart to cry unto God for a family member, a neighbor, or a town, or a community, or a land. And the more you pray, the worse it gets. The more you fast, and the more that you weep, and the earlier you get up, there's no break. Seems to be getting worse wonder if you ever cried, Lord, what's it all? What's the use? What's it all about? Maybe there's someone here and you're praying for a boy or a daughter or a father. And you cry and you pray and you fast and you weep. And the worse, the worse it gets. Maybe there's a Sunday school teacher here and you're ready to give up. And there's maybe not much happening in your class and you teach the children Sunday after Sunday and they don't remember what you taught them last week. And there doesn't seem to be any spiritual growth. There doesn't seem to be even a sign of salvation in them. And you're just maybe after coming out of the first Sunday school of the year and you say, what's the use? What's the use? What's it all about? Maybe there's a deacon here. Maybe there's an elder here. And you know what it is to battle and you know what it is to pull the rope and to struggle and to fight and to push. And if you're going home from the meeting this morning, you'd maybe say to your wife, I can take no more. I'm going to give up. It's easy to quit, you know. Anybody can stop. doesn't take much stickability to give up, to give in, and to turn back. It doesn't take much drive or discipline to stop. I wonder, is that you this morning? But then there's maybe someone here, and it's not a ministry that you're going to give up on. Maybe it's some millstone of affliction. Some plague of illness that you've had for many a day. No one else knows about it. And you know what it is to soak your pillow at night with the tears. And you know about the pain and the hospital visits and the tablets. And the doctor calls and you know no one else knows. And on the first Sunday in September, you're like, Lord, I've had enough. I can't go on. Lord, will you not break through? Will you not deliver me? Will you not heal me? Why are other people healthy and I'm not? Why are other families all right and mine's not? I'm going to give in. Then there's maybe somebody here and you're going to give up on the meetings. And now as we start down into coming into the meetings on a Sunday night back into the new year, there's not many going there. We'll go somewhere else. There's no use in going on a Sunday night or a Sunday morning. There's no one getting saved. There's nothing happening. I'm going to give in and I'm going to give up and I'm going to go back. Can't take it anymore. And I would say to you, dear friend, in the meeting this morning, it's easy to quit. It's easy to stop. Anybody can do it, you know. You go away back to 906 BC. Go away a hundred miles away into the desert and you'll find a man under a juniper tree. He was a mighty man. Done some mighty things for God. He called the fire from heaven, slew 850 false prophets, called the rain for over three and a half years. There wasn't a drop. And on top of the mountain, he called the rain from heaven. And now only a few days later, he had ran 100 miles on his own away out into the desert because of a woman that had put a death warrant on his head. He was lonely, he was cold, and he was tired. And this is what he said. Lord, it is enough. Take away my life. I am no better than my father. Ready to give in. He knew all about the difficulties and the discouragement. He knew what it was about the defeat. He Juniper tree this morning. After that mighty prayer that Elijah prayed, there's that lovely wee word, and. I like it. It says, and behold, the angel of the Lord touched him. He didn't kick him. He didn't take a stick and beat him. But as Elijah was discouraged, downcast, and defeated, a hundred miles away in his own, the angel of the Lord touched him. I like it. The pre incarnate Lord Jesus Christ left the splendors of heaven, came down, and he touched a man who was almost ready to give up. Tell me this morning does he need to touch you? You remember how Elijah got the commission. How he was to go and how he was to anoint another king and how he was to go and call young Elisha. His work wasn't done. Work wasn't done. Let me say something to you older folk here this morning. Whenever you have done all that God has told you to do, you know what will happen? You'll die. And the fact that you're in this meeting this morning and you're living and you've got strength and you're here and you're able tells me that God has something still for you to do. And Elijah went on. There was more for him to do. Then you fast forward away into 33 A.D. Almost a thousand years, fast forward. You stand on the shore of Galilee and you look out and you see a man in a boat and he's casting a net in with a few men. And you look over and you see him. And you shout over to him, well, how you getting on? Not too well, didn't catch anything last night. You say, I know you. You're one of the disciples, Yeah. You, you're Peter, you're, the, you're, you're the, one of the three that was so close to the Lord. Indeed I am, he would say. You were one of the disciples that, that the Lord Jesus took onto the mountain of transfiguration. You've seen the, le- the dead raised. you seen the lepers healed. You've seen the blind receive your, their sight. Tell me this, what are you doing on a boat? You know what he'd say? I've gone back. Come Back. Found it hard waiting, and I found it hard to know what to do, and I went back to the boat. It was that very same day, friends, that the Lord Jesus came again. And you'll remember whenever Peter got onto the shore, the Lord was already there. He had a fire kindled, and he had the fish there. And the recommission came to the heart of Peter again. Feed my sheep. It was only a few weeks later that the Apostle Peter stood and he saw over 3,000 souls saved in one meeting. God hadn't finished with them yet. You remember way back, you'll fast forward again, 45 AD, and you walk through the streets of Jerusalem. And you see a young man, a lovely young man, he's so fair. And you walk over to him and say, you're young John Mark. Yeah, that's who I am. You were with the Apostle Paul on his great missionary journeys. Did I was. You've seen hundreds saved. You've seen churches born. You've seen a move of God in Asia. Did I did. Tell me this, why are you in Jerusalem? What are you doing here? Ah, that young man would hang his head and he, could, he would say something like this. I turned back. I turned back. I couldn't go on. But you remember whenever the Apostle Paul was almost, he was going to die, he was going to be beheaded. You remember the commission that came to Luke. He said, Bring Mark, for he is needful to the ministry. God hadn't finished with him yet. There was a day whenever John Mark took his pen and he dipped it in ink and he wrote 17 chapters that every one of us know very well, the gospel according to Mark. God had something for him still to do. The fall, thank God, is not final. Thomas Edison, that inventor who took over a thousand attempts to make the light bulb, said this, Our greatest weakness lies in the fact that we give up so easily. The most certain way to succeed is to keep going. Keep going. Now let me say this to someone from the heart of God this morning. Keep going. Keep going. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep going. Keep going. Wasn't it a good job whenever Elijah was in the mountain of Carmel that whenever he prayed for the rain, he just didn't give up the second time? But he said to the servant, Go again, go again. It was the seventh time. It was the seventh time whenever the servant came back and he said, There's a cloud like a man's hand, small and insignificant. But let me say this to you this morning. Just as Elijah went again, go again, go again, go again. Oh, go again. Don't give in. Don't back down. Don't give up. You remember Jacob way over in Penya. Remember he was going back to meet his brother and he was standing at the brook and the angel of the Lord laid hold of him. And it says they wrestled all the night. And you remember the cry that came from Jacob's lips that night. He said this, I will not let thee go unless you bless me. And I pray this morning, dear child of God, in this meeting, whoever this message is for, I pray that God will give us men at this corner and women at this corner and young people at this corner and their cry will be, I will not let you go. Until you're blessed. Don't give in. Don't give up. You'll remember there was another mighty man. He done exports for God. He was a Nazarite, he was under the Nazarite vow. I tell you, he lifted gates that were over five ton and carried them for 30 miles on his back. Samson. Then you remember how he was deceived by Delilah and they bound him with chains and they pulled out his eyes and he was laid at the hand of a young boy. No power. All had gone. You remember that day, the last day that he ever lived. He bowed his head between two pillars and he prayed a prayer. Lord, one more time. One more time. he bowed his head and he said, Lord, remember me just this once. And Samson did more than that day than he did in all of his life. You know why? He went again. He kept going. You remember Moses? Moses taking the children of Israel out of Egypt. They were away out into the wilderness. They were delivered. They brought them through, brought through the Red Sea. Almost two million people. Ex, Exodus 17, read about it later on when you go home. They were going to stone them to death because there was no water. And Moses prayed a prayer in Exodus 17 and he cried unto God, What shall I do? They're going to stone me. And here's the word that came from the heart of God to your heart this morning. Just two words. Go on. Go on. Whoever you are in this meeting this morning, ready to give in, ready to give up, ready to go back. The two words that came from the Lord's mouth to Moses' heart are the same that are coming to you this morning. Go on. Go on. this ninth verse. It says the children of Israel, being armed and carrying bows, they turned back in the day of battle. Ephraim was the largest of the tribes, one of the most favoured. You'll remember whenever they got their blessing away back in Genesis fourteen, the children, the two sons of Joseph. You'll remember how how Jacob he crossed his hands, and he said, "Manasseh shall be great, but Ephraim shall be greater." The youngest got the eldest blessing. It was in Ephraim where the tabernacle was situated in Shiloh. They had the Ark of the Covenant. They had the presence of God. They had the Levites were there. They were a tribe that was favored. Ephraim was born in Egypt in the time of the seven years of plenty. It was, he was brought up in ease. He was brought up in pleasure. He was brought up in the years of plenty. So I may say this to you this morning, weary, worried saint this morning that takes the fire, takes the trial, takes the affliction. You wouldn't be the man of God that you are this morning if it wasn't for the trial. You wouldn't be the woman or the mother that you are this morning if it wasn't for the fire. you remember the cry that left the heart of Job. He says, but he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The fire. The trial. But the turn back you remember the hymn writer Isaac Watts wrote that lovely hymn, and we often sing these hymns, friends, but we don't at times even know what we're singing. He said, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies in flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed on bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend of grace to help me on to God? Listen to this. Since I must fight, that I must reign, increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, I'll endure the pain, supported by thy word. Go on. Go on now i haven't got time and time's going to beat me this morning but this tribe there was a few reasons why they had no need to turn back first of all because they were a tribe that was taught all about battle it was from the tribe of ephraim that joshua came from you remember joshua the young man of God that was to lead the people of God over into the promised land. You'll remember the first city that they came to, Jericho. Walls wide enough to run three chariots abreast round the tops of the wall. Well fortified, well defended. And Joshua stood and he gazed and he looked at these mighty walls. They hadn't a sword, they hadn't a spear. The Lord told Joshua to walk around the walls once every day for seven days and on the last day to go around seven times. It's a good job he didn't give up on the Wednesday. It's a good job he didn't give up on the Friday. It was a good job he just didn't do it five times on the last day or six times. But it was the last day. On the very seventh time, on the seventh day, you know what happened? The walls came down. Walls came down. And here was the tribe of Ephraim were we're taught about the stickability of Joshua. Keep going. Keep going. It was the tribe where Deborah came from. You remember that mighty judge that God raised up among his people? And she went and she came to Barak, that man, and she says, Arise, up and go. Don't sit. Don't stop. Don't stay where you are. Go and face the enemy. God delivered the enemy into their hand it was the tribe of Ephraim where Samuel was from another mighty man a man that took a stand for the things of God a man that stood for the word and stood in the truth he stood for God and they had a mighty heritage they had heard what these mighty men and women had done before but it wasn't going to affect them they were going to turn back i say this to you this morning dear friend in this meeting there's no land like northern ireland that has a greater heritage than what we do all the mighty men and women that came out of this land amy kermichael willie nicholson willie mullen mighty men and women that stood for god i pray this morning whatever we do that god will give me a bit of backbone to stand To stand. You'll read about Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim and Judges. Whenever they came over the Jordan and came into the promised land, this is what it says about the tribe of Ephraim. It says Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites, but dwelt among them. Now just hold on a wee minute now. Don't let anybody else distract you this morning. Here was a tribe that had lost their fight. They had lost their passion. They had lost their zeal that they used to have. And they were cold and they only wanted to retreat and sit at ease. The language of the tribe of Ephraim was led someone else to it, not me. Someone else will be a Sunday school teacher. Someone else will sit in the bus on a Friday night. Someone else will be a deacon. Or someone else will be an elder or a member. Not me. Someone else. Not the language that we've been using, is it? It's interesting to note whenever Gideon went to fight against the Midianites, the only tribe that he didn't ask to come with him was the tribe of Ephraim. says there's no point in you coming because you're going to draw back. Whenever Jephthah went to fight against Ammon, the only tribe that he didn't call was the tribe of Ephraim. He says, there's no point in calling you for you'll turn and run whenever we need you the most. You haven't got the stickability that you need. We need men that'll fight. I tell you, dear friends, this morning, that has challenged me. You remember the the cry that came from the lips of Nehemiah? Whenever he was down rebuilding the walls again and the enemy came, this is what Nehemiah said. He said, be not afraid. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible and fight for your brethren, for your sons, for your daughters and for your wives. Fight. Fight. Not only had the tribe of Ephraim been taught all about battle. But they had the mighty tools for battle. It says here in verse 9 that the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows. They turned back. They were well protected. They had the armor from the head to the feet. They had their shield and their helmet and they had their breastplate. They had everything that they needed them to protect them from the enemy, and yet they ran. And you know, dear friend, this morning, as we face the foe every day, Paul said that we need the armor on. He talked about it in Ephesians 6. He talked about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet that are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith he shall quench all the fiery darts of the of the wicked. I tell you this morning, we're no different. We have no need to run. We have no need to run and retreat. We've got plenty of armor. I heard there during the week, one of the generals that led his men over the parapet of the trenches into the battle of the Somme the last recorded words of that general to his men was, men, retreat is not an option. Retreat is not an option. It not only had they armor, it says here that they were carrying bows. The bow was the most advanced weapon of its day, long distance that it could shoot at the enemy. I don't need to remind you this morning, dear friend, but not only have we got mighty armor, but thank God we have got mighty weapons. The apostle said that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Whatever trial, whatever the affliction, whatever the stronghold that the enemy bombards us with, we can come against them with a mighty weapon. Weapons of prayer, weapons of praise, weapons of the word, and we can stand and we can fight. You remember Paul in Romans 8, he said this that we're more than conquerors. Through him that loved. More. Not just to be a conqueror, that would be right and good. But he says that we're more than conquerors through him that loved. Not only was this stripe taught in war and they had the tools for war, the sad thing about it as we close this morning, they turned back. They turned back. They didn't stand. I tell you, dear friends, it says here in verse 9 that they turned back in the day of battle the day when they were needed the most, they turned and they ran away. Now let me say something this morning to every single one of you that are saved. And I have said it many times on this platform and I will say it again. There's something that you can do for God that I can't do. There's something that the sisters in this meeting can do that I can't do. There's something that other brothers here can do for God that I can't do. And God needs you as much as he needs me. And you need me as much as I need you. We need one another. You'll remember in 1914, whenever the government put out that appeal for recruits to join the First World War, Lord Kitchener was painted on a poster with his finger pointing towards those that walked by, and this is what it said. We need you. We need you. Mother in the meeting this morning, God needs you. Father in the meeting this morning, as you go to work tomorrow, God needs you as much as he needs me. We need to stand and fight one to another. But here was people and they were needed in the very day when they were needed the most. They turned and they ran. They didn't stand. There was no fight. There was no stickability. They ran away. You remember young Esther, she said, her mentor said this to her, thou art in the kingdom for such a time as this. And I often ask myself the question, Lord, why did you not let me be born in Spurgeon's Day? Why did you not allow me to be born in the days of revivals in 1859 and 1904? Lord, I would love to have seen it. I would love to have seen you coming and moving in power. Lord, why did you not allow me to be born back then? You know there's a very simple answer for that. You're needed in this day. Thou art in the kingdom for such a time as this. I tell you, dear friends, that's very precious. Very precious. Are you going to run this morning? Are you going to give in? Are you going to back down? Are you going to stand? As we go into the new church year, 2019, are you going to put your face to the wind? The gales and the afflictions that are going to come, I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to go, I'm going to stand. are you going to run? Or would we need to write over your apatah if we ever have to stand around your grave? he or she turned back in the day that they were needed the most. In the 1800s, there was a missionary. He was a native Indian who went to the far unreached people groups of India to win them to the Lord. Most of you here have never heard of him. He labored for years with his wife and his two sons away out among the tribes in India. One day the natives from another tribe came to his home. They told him to renounce his faith in Christ. He says, I'm not doing it. They brought his two boys beside him and they put a knife to each of their throats. And told him for the last time to renounce his faith in Christ, or they would kill his two boys there and then. And Sadjud Sindar, that man of God, stood with tears running down his face, and this is what he sang, and this is where the chorus comes from I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And they slit the throats of his two sons there the and then. They died. They so went and they got his wife. Held a knife to her throat. Told him to renounce his faith in Christ. Or they would kill her there and then. And said, You send our with the eyes. Overwhelmed with tears, lifted his voice and raised his head to heaven. And he started to sing, though none go with me, yet I will follow. Though none go with me. Oh, yet I will follow. Though none go with me, yet I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. They came to him as he stood and he saw his wife, his two sons, held a knife to his throat, says one more time you can renounce your faith and will spare your life. Sajid Sindar began to sing The Cross before me The World behind. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. Sadjid Sindar went out into the presence of the law. The man that was going to stand wasn't going to run. I'll tell you this as a close. One of a young man by the name of Tom Ray, David Ray, got in north of Ireland a good few years ago. He went down over the border and began to do open air work and do a few missions here and there. And he was deeply discouraged. He took a pen and he wrote to his wife and told her how he was going to give up. Couldn't take it anymore. And sent her the letter and posted the same letter to his father. A few days later, David Ray received in the post a letter from his dear wife up here in the north. It read, Dear David, We know much about your discouragement in these days and we've been praying much that the Lord will help you. On the back of the envelope I have enlisted a poem I suggest that you read before you go to bed tonight. He turned over the back of the envelope and there was a poem written there by his wife. It consisted of two words. Go on, go on, go on, go on. Go on, go on, go on. Go on, go on. Go on, go on. on, on. Go on, go on, go on. The next day the letter came from his father, Tomre. He said, Son, I have been seeking the Lord for a word to encourage your heart. And He said that I suggest that you turn and you read that lovely verse in Hebrews 12 and verse 3 looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction of of sinners against himself, lest ye faint and be weary in your mind. Now, I would feel it wrong, Stop my message this morning without thanking God for a man that never turned back. I'm fair and glad that it says about the Lord Jesus in Matthew 26, He went a little further. It says in Isaiah 50 there, I was not rebellious, neither turned I back. I gave my sticks to the smiters and my back to them that smote me. They plucked off my hairs and I hid not my face from shame and from spitting. I'm glad he didn't turn back. I'm glad that he set his face as a flint. And out through the northern gate of Jerusalem. was nailed to an old Roman and crowd. I'm glad that the Son of God he hung with his visage so marred more than any man. And the cry that came from his lips, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the very answer to that question is in this room this morning. You and me. I'm gonna ask one question and I'm gonna pray. You gonna give up? You gonna quit? You had enough? Fought long enough? Battled long enough? Can take no more? Keep going. Let us pray. Father, we just bow in thy presence this morning. Father, we just cry that thou will continue to minister to all of our hearts. We pray for those in this meeting this morning that are at breaking point. Can take no more with the affliction. Can take no more of the sickness and the trials. Lord, we pray that indeed that thou will help them and encourage them to go on. Lord, like the children of Ephraim, they would never be able to be said of them that they turned back in the day of battle. We pray here at this corner that you'll raise up a band of men and women who will stand. And Lord, just like that man, Sadduce and Dar, that will be able to stand and declare to the world, Lo, none go with me, yet I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Father, we pray as those that leave and those of us that gather round the table to remember one who never turned back. To remember the one that lay who from the track he turned not back, and went to that lone cross in Calvary on our behalf. We pray that our meditation of Him will be sweet. Lord, we pray that you'll protect your word in our heart. We pray, Lord, on down into the rest of the day and down into the rest of the week that we'll be encouraged and remember that we're to stand and to go on and not to turn back. We ask it in the Savior's name. Amen.